Hey everyone, my name is Stephanie Ratopper and I'm a producer on Blind Landing. So, if you're an Asian American woman who grew up in the 80s and 90s, odds are, like me, you have a special place in your heart for Christy Yamaguchi. Okay, so when you hear Christy Yamaguchi's name, what do you think of? I mean, it, I just remember thinking she was like the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I just remember being like, oh my God, I want to be her. I just remember thinking Christy Yamaguchi was just like so beautiful and athletic and admired. And she did this, the most beautiful, perfect pump bangs, which was something very aspirational in the early 90s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember like I saved the Sports Illustrated cover she was on with a gold medal and a plastic sleeve. I still have that magazine somewhere. Like we bought the cereal box she was on. Um, I had a Christy Yamaguchi Christmas ornament at one point. Every year when we pull it out of the ornament box, I always find a special place on the Christmas tree for her. She's like in a perfect like ice skating pose and she has a blue leotard on and her hair and her smile. Chrissy Yamaguchi was one of these shining examples of like, this is what Asian American excellence looks like. All of the women that you just heard from Michelle Lee, Christina Wong, Nicole Chung, Leslie Ito, and Brianna Lee, we're all part of a generation that grew up shaped by a moment that stuck with us forever. And now the introduction of the gold medalist. Olympic champion, Christy Yamaguchi. 30 years ago, Christy Yamaguchi made history by becoming the first Asian American woman to win an Olympic gold medal in figure skating. But really for me as a kid, she was one of the first Asian American women I saw on TV, period. So a little bit about me. I'm Japanese American, fourth generation, born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm multiracial. My dad's from the former Yugoslavia and my mom's Japanese American. And when Christy won in 1992, I was 10 years old. And it feels kind of unbelievable for me to reflect on this now, but at the time, it was not cool to be Japanese American. I mean, people didn't know what sushi was, and if they did, maybe they thought it was kind of gross. I remember people being weirded out when I brought onigiri, like rice balls, to school for lunch. And you have to remember that this was before YouTube and social media. I mean, even the internet and email hadn't really reached people's homes yet. So a big part of what people knew about Asians came from what we saw on TV. And honestly, I could name all of the famous Asian women that I knew on one hand. This was before Mulan and way before Moana. So my life as a kid mainly centered around obsessively watching and re-watching white Disney princesses and wishing that I could be like them. And as my friend Brie explains, that did something to our brains. And so just the way that you thought about yourself, you did not see yourself as somebody who could be the star of your own narrative. So I, I actually wrote a lot of short stories growing up and I, and I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but like I, I would just instinctively write all of my main characters to be white. I mean, I did the same thing too. I didn't even think twice about it. So to see Christy, a Japanese American woman on the highest pedestal for Brie, for me, for a whole generation of Asian American kids, it really meant something. Because everyone was watching the Olympics. 
If you were alive in 1992 and you had a TV, you knew Christy Yamaguchi. Back then, it was mind-blowing to see an Asian-American woman in the spotlight. But of course, for young kids today, watching these past Winter Olympic Games in Beijing, it's a different picture. Opening up the whole competition was Nathan Chen. Nathan Chen. Women singles. We've Let's. got Alyssa Liu in yeah. Team USA. Kieran Chen. Vincent Joe of the United States of America. That is the third strongest. Seeing just how many Asian American skaters there are today, I wondered what it must have been like for Christy. And the interesting thing about sports fandom is that even though we're not the ones who are competing, the athlete's journey takes on this whole other symbolic meaning. We watch with our palms sweaty, we yell out loud, we cry, we think we know them. And Christy was like one of these ever-present childhood idols in my life, but really, I didn't actually know that much about her. I wanted to know what it was like for her to be the lone Asian American on the ice and really the face of Asian Americans at that time. So I called her. Hi there. Oh my goodness, hello. hello. I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you too. How are you doing? Pretty good. And I think I got the setup going here. I got my, the microphone in my phone plugged Okay, in. honestly, my childhood self would be doing backflips right now. And, you know, in talking with her, I learned that for Christy, the polished, glamorous image that we all saw on TV was very different from her experience on the inside. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it was a big honor, but at the same time, it was just like, like I don't want to do anything wrong or something that is uh, going to disappoint. Christy's path to the Olympics was full of obstacles of loneliness, of times that she just wanted to quit. And in a climate where anti-Asian feelings ran high, she had to keep pushing forward. As she stepped into the spotlight, she drew from past generations to pave the way for those to come. There were so many moments along Christy's journey that almost stopped her from becoming the Christy Yamaguchi that we all know. I'm Stephanie Ratopper. And this is Blind Landing. I know for many Asian Americans like me who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like you were one of the first, if not the only Asian Americans that we <laughs> saw on TV. Um, I'm wondering who were your Asian American role models growing up? Who did you look around to you as examples of what was possible? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in the skating world, Tiffany Chin, who in the 80s was a U.S. champion and world bronze medalist, so and also from California. So, you know, I always felt like there was some kinship there and she was really paving the way in a lot of different ways, not just being like the first Asian American to have such success in skating, but also, you know, pushing boundaries technically and artistically in, a, in our sport. And now here she is, Tiffany Chin. Tiffany Chin, a beautifully put together, well-packaged, all-around young skater. She just had a very light and airy and just like a happy presence on the ice. Dick, she has such a presence on the ice. Just look how she carries her body. And she was just very musical, and I think that's what I loved about her skating. And 
that's how I connected to the sport so much too, was just that performance through the music and letting that help the character come out. Tiffany Chin was four years older than Christy. She was the first Asian American U.S. national champion, and she competed at the 1984 Olympics, where she finished fourth. Fourth. So she's a huge figure in the skating world. But if you're not a skater, you might not know the name Tiffany Chin. Odds are you probably don't know a lot of the people who finished fourth at the Olympics, or even third or second. To break through beyond just skating, beyond just sports, to be an icon in the mainstream, it often takes Olympic gold, especially when you're trying to be the first to do something. Like, for example, in a historically white sport, to be the first Asian American champion. When Christy Yamaguchi started skating, she wasn't thinking about what Asian Americans could or could not be. She just thought about how skating made her feel inside. Probably one of the things that I loved about skating as a young kid is just really the freedom that you feel on the ice, physically and emotionally. I mean, physically is the first thing, right? You feel the wind rushing and you could feel the speed. Uh, you know, you think you're going fast when you're little, but probably not so fast. But uh, being a shy person, there's something about that when you're on the ice, can almost it's your alter ego, right? You can turn into whoever you want. As a shy kid, skating was an outlet for Christy. The freedom was a rush, a chance to be seen, to transform and move through the world with confidence and ease. That feeling, it drew her in. I guess every figure skater's dream is to represent the United States in the Olympics. And that's always a dream we're gonna have. So until then, we're just gonna keep working hard and focus on just the near future. And take one year at a time. When Christy says we, she means her and Rudy Galindo, her skating partner. For years, she competed in both singles skating and in pairs skating with Rudy. Yamaguchi and Galindo have skated as partners for six years, and they've shared a dream of making the Olympics for at least that long. So at the beginning, her Olympic dream was actually as a pair skater. The two of them grew up like siblings, skating together since Christy was 12, training with their longtime coach, Jim Hulick. Rudy Galindo, Jim Hulick, they were her skating family. The trio were all breaking onto the scene together, with Christy and Rudy poised to be the next great American skating duo. And in her hometown of Fremont, California, in the super diverse Bay Area, Christy had a full team of support around her as she made her way up in the sport. Along with Rudy and Jim, her parents were there for her as her passion for skating quickly escalated. My parents didn't know what hit them. I think they just thought, oh, skating, nice, nice. And everything just kind of snowballed. And eventually I was going every day before school. The dream took work. Christy was on the ice at 5 a.m., then at school, then back again on the ice after school for pairs training with Rudy. Sometimes she would be the one to wake up her mom to make sure that they could get to practice on time. Christy was driven. Yeah, you see the four-minute finished product, right, with sparkly costume and 
music and the total performance. But yeah, it's all of that training in between that is really the meat of it all. And knowing, okay, this is, I, I'm going all in. You know, this is my path now. They are the youthful national champions of the United States, Yamaguchi and Galindo, 17-year-old Christy, 19-year-old Rudy. Their coach, Jim Hewlett, obviously happy. What a moment. In 1989, Christy and Rudy won the senior U.S. pairs title. They were right on track to compete at the 1992 Olympic Games. But in the months after that national title, Christy's world began to turn upside down. It has indeed been a turbulent year for 18-year-old Christy Yamaguchi. Very little stability. In December of 1989, her coach, Jim Hulick, passed away from colon cancer. He was only 38 years old. Our entire Paris career is dedicated to Jim. He started us out and was with us the last seven years of his life, and I think he's made us into what we are right now. But he um, pretty much, it seemed like to us, he pushed his illness aside and focused more on us. I think he sacrificed a lot of his health just for our skating. The loss of her coach, it coincided with a huge decision she had to make. As the competition intensified, it was almost impossible to continue competing in both pairs and singles. They were really two different sports, each with their own physical skills to master and rigorous training schedule. Even if Christy could keep up with the extra hours of practice, at competitions it meant she was sometimes competing in four events in one day, putting her at a disadvantage. She had to make a choice. Stick with her longtime partner or chase the gold on her own. That was a really heavy time, you know, personally just going through so much with uh, the passing of our coach and being in limbo of like, okay, now what do we do? Um, we were both skating singles at the time as well. Um, so, you know, figuring out how to juggle that. Um, yeah, it, w it was tough. What Christy decided to do was go it alone and dissolved her partnership with Rudy. As a shy kid, she'd always had Rudy by her side. They had always been in it together. I mean, it was like a marriage, right? That, like a divorce that we were really going through. Christy moved 1,500 miles away from Rudy, her family, and her community to pursue her singles career all while she was still a teenager. Reflect with us, if you will, about the life changes of a young girl named Christy Yamaguchi. She's left home and moved to a foreign country. Well, it's Canada, but when you leave mom behind, no matter where you go, it's foreign. It's hard when I go home and I have to leave like the next day for a competition somewhere. Sometimes I think, God, can I just stay here for a week? Watching interview clips of Christy from the time even the ones with the cheesy music underneath, it still hits me. You know, I just think, I can't imagine having to make that kind of choice at 19 years old. Suddenly, she's without her family, her parents, or her community. For the first time, she's really alone. You know, all of a sudden, feeling just the pressure alone, you know, as a single skater. I, I let that get to me. I was just miserable. I was just, I felt like I was going through the motion and doing what everyone wanted me to do. 
And it wasn't until Kurt Browning, my training mate at the time, pulled me aside and just like, what are you doing? Why are you so miserable all the time? And, you know, he just asked, like, what do you want to accomplish? You know you'll be a world champion one day, right? And I was just like, no, no, I don't. And he's like, you have to believe that. Why are you skating? It was a simple question. Why? The early mornings, the travel to competitions, leaving home. What was it all for? And was it even worth it? And I think over the week or so that I was thinking about all this, I realized I can't walk away right now. I mean, we're like 16 months away from the Olympics. <laughs> and it's like, I know if I walk away, I will regret it. And I know there's more I want to do in skating. And it was like a light switch went on. And I was like, you're right. I need to find that joy that I had as a six-year-old in the ice show and get back to that simple thing of the passion I had to skate. So I stopped worrying about what people thought of my costumes or how I was training and what music I was skating to. Like I tuned all that out and just said, hey, I'm gonna skate for me now. From that point on, just really changed my attitude. It was a huge mental shift for Christy, a change that came just in time for the 1991 World Championships. She's a very neat and tidy skater, sometimes shy to express herself. This is a breakthrough for her. When Christy stepped out onto the ice, she just had this effortless confidence about her. Her competitors looked like they were straining through their jumps, but Christy's looked light and easy. Her joy was contagious. The whole audience was clapping along as she skated. And then Christy did something her younger, more timid self would have never dared to do. In the past, like I never looked at the judges. I never like acknowledged them. I was always kind of like, oh, like there they are, like don't look over there. But in that moment, I actually made eye contact with one of the judges uh, during my footwork sequence. And I don't know, why, what made me do it? I, I think I just had a burst of confidence and made the eye contact and then I you know, got off the ice and sat down and he was the Italian judge and gave me my first 6.0, <laughs> my first perfect score. Christy Yamaguchi. This is a wonderful all-around solid performance and she's put her right up there. When I think of Christy, I immediately think of the Olympics. But for Christy, this was the real defining moment for her career. This was the turning point when she knew that she had what it would take to stand atop the podium as the world's best female figure skater, all on her own. Christy won the 1991 World Championships, and she looked to the 1992 Olympics primed to represent the United States. But she wasn't prepared for the possibility that maybe the country wasn't ready for her to be the one to represent it. Just as Christy was starting to feel more self-assured in her skating, another dimension added on to the pressure that she was up against, whether or not she was American enough. See, against the backdrop of Christy's skating career in the 80s and 90s, 
there was a slow and steady rise of anti-Japan sentiment in America. At first, it had no connection to Christie, or sports, or ice skating. Really, it started with cars. Tokyo is now the manufacturing capital of the world. Indeed, cars like these have forced the Americans to concede first place to the Japanese as the world's top car manufacturers. It was the product of an international chain reaction. Political instability in Iran led to soaring gas prices around the globe, and sales of Japanese fuel-efficient cars went through the roof. Meanwhile, the U.S. auto industry took a hit. In just one year, Ford laid off nearly half of its hourly employees, cutting about 100,000 jobs. People across the country were upset, and they looked around for who to blame. The American auto industry and its army have targeted Japan as a major source of its problems. Soon, there were anti-Japan protests where auto workers took sledgehammers to Japanese cars. Government officials called for boycotts of Japanese manufacturers. And then, for Asian Americans, this national outrage translated into daily interactions that showed that we were not welcome. Even in my own family, there are stories. Like how one day my Auntie Mary, my great aunt who was born and raised in Los Angeles and 71 at the time, walked into her favorite donut shop near her house and a man told her, go back to Japan. And infamously in 1982, two white auto workers in Detroit mistook a man named Vincent Chin for Japanese and they beat him to death with baseball bats. I was close enough to hear Mr. Evans say to Mr. Chin, because of you motherfuckers, we're out of work. And in what outraged the Asian community, both escaped a 15-year prison term. Instead, they were placed on three years probation and given a $3,000 fine. This was a national atmosphere that Christie entered when she took the stage and prepared to represent the U.S. at the Olympics. You know, I knew, I mean, we all knew that the U.S.-Japan relations at the time were very strained and the whole automotive industry and what they were going through, you know, obviously was fueling all of that. Leading up to the Olympics, the media fixated on Christie's race. One cover story from Newsweek captured just how connected Christie's story was to the national conversation when it ended with this line. What's a good old boy to do if there's not only a Toyota in the driveway and a Sony in the bedroom and a Mitsubishi in the family room, but on the screen there, as the band plays a star-spangled banner, is the all-American girl of 1992. And her name is Yamaguchi. Just wow, right? It's, that question just really sums it up. People had conflicting feelings about having a Japanese-American represent the U.S. And a big part of it has to do with this unspoken thing, that if you're Asian-American, even when you're from here, you can't really be from from here. We are seen as perpetual foreigners. It wasn't the first time Christy was confronted with confusion about her race. There were the times when she traveled to compete and journalists would compliment her on how good her English was. Like, what? Or when, in 1988, Christy won the world's junior title. She happened to finish ahead of two Japanese skaters, and there was an unusual delay backstage. She didn't understand why until she heard an organizer say, we can't find three Japanese flags. Christy was like, um, can someone tell them that I'm American? 
And of course, it's not uncommon for Japanese Americans to ask, can someone tell them that I'm American? This is a feeling that goes back generations. Evacuation. More than 100,000 men, women, and children, all of Japanese ancestry, removed from their homes in the Pacific Coast states to wartime communities established in out-of-the-way places. In 1942, with no due process, our government ordered 120,000 Japanese people, the majority American citizens, to leave everything behind and move into barracks behind barbed wire in the middle of deserts and swamplands. And it happened despite the fact that not a single person of Japanese ancestry in the U.S. was ever convicted of espionage or sabotage. This double standard reaffirmed an idea that has been in place as long as Asians have been in this country that no matter how many generations our families are here, we can never really be American, including my family, including Christy's family. My bachan, my grandma, never brought it up herself, but when I pressed her, she talked about how she and my jichan, my grandpa, tried to stuff newspaper into the gaps in the barrack walls, but the fierce desert wind blew through the cracks, covering everything in dust. I remember my sister interviewing my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom. That generation left the camps, wanted to put it behind them, never talk about it, never acknowledge it, and move on, which was how they had to cope with it, right? How they were able to, you know, still come out and be American and, you know, make a life there. Christie's grandfather, George Doy, was one of thousands of Japanese Americans who served in the U.S. military at the time. And most served in segregated units, tasked with dangerous missions with high human cost. George happened to serve in a non-segregated unit, a lone Japanese American serving alongside white and non-Japanese soldiers. So you have to wonder what kinds of things he heard around him at that time. For them, it was the ultimate sacrifice to prove that they were American. They knew that if they didn't go fight, then it would just validate the perception that they were the enemy, for them and for their families. While Christie's grandpa served, her grandma Kathleen gave birth to their daughter Carol, Christie's mom, in the Amachi camp. Christie said that to get through, her family channeled some core Japanese-American values. I mean, I think they knew there's injustice that had happened, but again, it was just like, it happened and we can, there's nothing we can do about it. So it's like, move on. You know, they had that saying, gaman, like move ahead, like, you know, perseverance. I think they felt, yes, they, they lost an incredible amount of not just their dignity, but and their personal belongings, but just th that time and having to take years and, you know, a couple generations to really rebuild. Gaman. It's the idea that in the face of hardship, you have to accept that some things can't be changed. In fact, they say shikata ganai, it can't be helped, and that in the face of these things, it's important to be strong, to persevere, to find another way to move forward. That's why in a lot of Japanese-American households, no one talked about it. But in the 1980s, Japanese-Americans pressed the U.S. government to apologize and issue reparations, which eventually it did in 1988 when Christie was 17 years old. 
And this sparked new conversations. A new generation, like me and Christy, we were learning about what happened to our families. The first time I kind of started hearing about it a little bit was when the reparations were happening. We were in high school and we were like, oh, that's great, but why? And, you know, what was happening? Nothing was ever taught about the internment camps at that time. You just start talking more about your own family history. Christy was learning about her family's history right at the peak of her career, right when she was starting to face discrimination in her own life. This history of racism and incarceration and this moment of anti-Japan sentiment in the 80s and 90s, it all gave deeper meaning to what happened at the 1992 Olympics. In the Olympic Ice Hall in Alberville, where by virtue of the random draw, the first to skate will be Christy Yamaguchi. All the choices Christy had to make, training far away from her family, deciding to skate singles, the 5 a.m. practices before school, it was all coming together as she finally made it to the 1992 games. She's in first place, and she now skates for the gold. In her signature ponytail tied in a ribbon and a sparkling black and gold outfit, Christy skated with dramatic artistry and power with a difficult triple-triple combination. And a big opening, triple Lutz into triple toe loop. Triple Lutz, triple toe loop! Her closest two rivals attempted triple axles, but fell. Those aren't good enough to beat Christy Yamaguchi. Those marks put Midori Ito in second. As the results came in, Christy's coach wrapped her in a huge hug, and the two began to cry. She did it. She won the gold. Christy takes a deep breath, closes her eyes, and the star-spangled banner begins. As the flags raise into the air, she begins to sing along. The camera cuts to Christy Yamaguchi's parents, her sister singing along, her dad with his hand over his heart. As a kid, I watched this with my mom and my bachan as Christy Yamaguchi stood on the platform with a gold medal around her neck. And now watching this clip 30 years later, I don't know what it is, but I just start to tear up. And I think it's so weird because I don't really consider myself a patriotic person, but I just can't help but feel totally moved. Seeing Christy on the platform, it's like everything floods in at once. The painful history and beautiful, simple possibility, all at the same time. Like, maybe we can be more than people think of us. Maybe we can be who we are and still be American. Maybe we can belong. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. To see an Asian American woman like be in the spotlight, it was so unique and so exhilarating. It's like there's all of us in the world who are watching Christy, and we're like, she's a fucking winner. She's amazing. She represents us. I feel like like that example came along like when I needed it so much in my personal life, like given 
sort of what my childhood was like at that point and what I was dealing with at school. Like it was just a little bit of encouragement that I hadn't necessarily known I needed. You'd think that winning the Olympics would be the end to the questioning around if Christy was American enough. In fact, it was just the start. That's after the break. There's one thing that kid me was oblivious to when I witnessed Christie's historic win. So there was a lot of talk in the media around the 92 Olympics about whether or not you would get endorsements, and there was speculation that it was because of your race. Yeah. I mean, I remember back in 92 hearing things. Those things she was hearing? Headlines on magazines across America wondering where Christie's splashy endorsement deals were. Like this one from Newsday. Though tremendously popular after the Olympics, on the marketing front, there's no gold for Christie. Or from the Houston Chronicle. Japan bashing could keep Yamaguchi from cashing in. An article in Business Week magazine claims that Christie Yamaguchi's Japanese heritage is hurting her endorsement possibilities and that she hasn't had many offers, all because of anti-Japanese sentiment in America. These headlines were all from the month right after the Games. And that's important because there's usually a really small window of time for Olympic athletes to be able to secure endorsements. Endorsements can offset the tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, that an athlete's family has poured into their training. They can give you exposure and visibility to be seen, for example, by Asian American kids all across the country. But, if athletes don't get any endorsement offers in the month after the Olympics, it's unlikely that they'll get any at all. Christie's win was happening at a moment when the U.S. public wanted Japan to answer for problems in the economy. The relationship between the two countries was tense. Yeah, I was just like, why, why is the timing of this all happening now? So, you know, a little frustration because there's, there's always that part of you that kind of wonders you know, I was just, I couldn't feel any more American than I was. And uh, to hear things like that, that were questioning that was, I think, the most frustrating thing. To get a sense of what it's usually like, at the time, gold medalist speed skater Bonnie Blair, who's white, already had a number of endorsements locked down. Blair already has a long-standing deal with Evian Water. She's appearing on a box of cereal, and she's shooting a commercial for McDonald's. Christie was the Olympic champion, the face of the United States on the world stage. And still, still, there were people questioning whether or not she was American enough to be a spokesperson. So very mixed emotions. You know, one, I was just like, well, you know, I didn't compete for endorsements. So whatever comes my way, I'm grateful for. But, um, you know, when you hear it because of how I look or what my last name is, you know, that was frustrating because I, again, felt like any other California girl, you know, representing my country. Hearing Christy say this, it brings up all the times when people have asked me, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Of course, I'm multiracial, so, you know, I get that there's another layer of curiosity there. But people don't usually seem to be looking to find out that my dad's from the former Yugoslavia, even though he's the immigrant in my family. I'm fourth-generation American, like Christy. 
but they want to know what kind of Asian I am. And to be honest, it's these kind of things that make me feel conflicted about my own American identity. The history of racism, the constant questioning, make me long for a distant homeland that just doesn't exist. But for Christy, if she felt this kind of conflict about her identity, there was really no place at the time for her to express it. She was representing the United States on the world stage. And as a kid, I always thought of Christy as an adult, so grown up. But I now realize that she was a 20-year-old woman who all of a sudden was in this extraordinary position. Right on the heels of her Olympic win, she had to field countless questions about her identity usually to a white male reporter, with the subtext of commenting on the state of the country and the world economy. It's like each media interview was a test. Was Christy really American enough? Christy disagrees. I don't think it should have anything to do with it. I'm fourth generation American, and I went over to Albertville representing the United States, and I came back to the United States with the gold medal for them. And Christy had to do it alone, really, with virtually no examples for how to navigate this. Already she was at a level of fame that was far above any other Asian American woman that she had seen around her growing up. Was there a part of you at the time that wished you could just like make a scene or say something about the, the things that you were hearing? Yeah, especially when you're, you keep getting asked about it, right? I mean, at the time, the media, you know, I knew if I did an interview, it would come up. So it was frustrating not to just be like, you know, hey, I am American. I am probably here longer than other families that are here that don't look like me. Because of the climate, Christy had to field these questions tactfully. To do that, it took some grace. It's that same kind of Japanese-American things, like, don't complain, like, you just be grateful for what you have and, you know, you push on. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I knew what I still wanted to accomplish in skating with, as, with a professional career. So I think, you know, I consciously chose to really put all my energy into that and, you know, creating a career for myself where I had control over, you know, how much I performed and toured and all of that versus waiting for something that you know, is so fleeting as far as like endorsements and things like that. What she's saying reminds me of the idea of Gaman. Move ahead, persevere. I really think Christy had to tap into some Gaman to navigate life as a public figure. She looked around her and saw a climate that couldn't be changed. All she could really focus on was being herself. And that's what people around the country, around the world, responded to. Please welcome Olympic gold medalist Christy Yamaguchi. My first guest skated into uh, all of our hearts this winter, Christy Yamaguchi. The Christy that we all looked up to, charismatic, always with a smile, her public profile didn't die out after the games. In fact, it grew. The gold medal high may just last forever because a whole new world has opened up and Christy is still getting used to being a celebrity. When they say it's crucial to get endorsements in the months after the games, that's because there's this presumption that fame is fleeting for Olympians. That after you win gold, that's it. 
you've peaked, you're done. But Christie's path was not like other Olympians. She didn't get that flood of endorsements after the 1992 Olympics. Instead, they came over the next few years. What's your favorite entomins? I'd say the chocolate fudge cake. Mmm, frosty. And throughout the 90s, the art of shopping is easy at Mervyn's, California, where you'll find some of the biggest brands around. And even decades after the Olympics. With TurboTax, here look, I could write off my skating costumes. And at the same time, Christy retired from competitive skating and started doing professional tours, headlining Stars on Ice and other TV figure skating specials throughout the 90s. A perfect 50. What an incredible professional debut. Christy found herself still at the center of American skating, even though she didn't go on to compete in another Olympics. And this, this was a different kind of victory for Christy. Of course, not because of the endorsements themselves or the brands or the profits. Like Christy said, that was never the goal. But because through the ads, her media appearances, her career on the exhibition skating circuit, she didn't go away. And sticking around meant that we as a country saw her in Mervyn's commercials, in Got Milk ads, on cereal boxes and soup cans, on late night TV, and on holiday skating telecasts. That's how I kept seeing her, how all my peers, just kids at the time, kept seeing her. It's why we practiced jumps in our living rooms, why we dreamt of other ways of being in the world. You're virtually under the radar, right? And then all of a sudden, it's just like, boom, you know, household name. And it's hard to navigate because it is a lot to take in. Christy didn't set out to become a public figure. All she'd been thinking about was skating. So one thing she never expected was that her story would resonate so deeply with Asian Americans across the country. The outpouring from her fans was astonishing. Some 3,000 letters from all corners of the globe found their way to Christie's doorstep. Parents even named their daughters after Christie, and one mother baked a cake in her likeness for her delighted four-year-old. It was eye-opening, and I started to really feel that being Asian-American and having accomplished what I did was something significant. And because Christie's family history ran parallel to so many of ours, her visibility was an opportunity for the world to learn more about our community's history. You saw young Krista Yamaguchi skating to glory in the Olympics. Her mother was born in an American concentration camp. And in the process, Christy learned to step into this public role and embrace it. And she did it in a way that felt like her own. It probably took a couple of years for me to, you know, settle in and be like, okay, realize be yourself. That's all you can ask for. And obviously, I want to be as positive of a role model as possible. But, you know, it's just be who I am. And hopefully, that's, that's okay. <laughs> and in that vein, Christie's biggest, most enduring legacy, it's not about her. Not her achievements. Not her own Olympic win. It's about what happened after her in the sport of figure skating. Christy watched as Michelle Kwan skyrocketed to become an international superstar. Michelle Kwan, Etats-Unis d'Amérique. In second place, a silver medalist, Michelle Kwan. Michelle quickly became a household name, even without winning an Olympic title. She didn't have to win gold to be golden. 
And Christy watched as Mariah Nagasu pushed the boundaries for American skaters. Right up into it. The first American woman to land a triple axel at the Olympics. That triple axel will go down in the record books. And she watched as Nathan Chen became the first Asian American man to win a medal in singles figure skating. There it is, 218 and change, it's official now. Nathan Chen is the Olympic gold medalist. Michelle, Mirai, Nathan, they're just a few of the prominent Asian American skaters to represent the U.S. at the Olympics. There has been an Asian American medalist at the U.S. Nationals every year since Christie's 1992 Olympic performance. It was a path started by Tiffany Chin, fulfilled by Christy Yamaguchi, and cemented by Michelle Kwan. In the sport of figure skating, Asian Americans aren't just here to stay. They are dominating. More than Christie's legacy in skating, more than her personal struggles, more than anything, as we came to the end of our conversation, I just really thought about time, how quick and slow things have moved. And I want to tell you that everything is better, that Christie's groundbreaking win changed everything and it's all fine now. But here we are 30 years later and we're living in a world that's eerily reminiscent of 1992. Swap out Japan for China in the battle for economic supremacy, add in a pandemic. Asian Americans, no matter their ethnic heritage, are again scapegoats and the targets of violence. It all kind of makes me want to jump in a time machine and just be a kid again, watching Christy skate on TV. But I can also tell kid me that the world is going to evolve in interesting and unexpected ways. In the 30 years since Christie's historic win, representation of Asian Americans in not just sports, but in movies, politics, and mainstream media has increased, which means that there are also more outlets to call out what's going on. Among the high profile people leading this charge is gold medal figure skater, Christy Yamaguchi. We know it's wrong what's been happening in the rise in violence and um, I think we know we need to raise our voices and be heard and seen in order to make a, a change. Now, Christy is just one of many people who are speaking up. She's not alone. She's in good company. And there are more platforms for people from all walks of life to represent the community and say something. Hundreds of people turned out for a vigil in the wake of Tuesday's shooting at three Atlanta areas. The San Francisco Bay Area calling for solidarity to stop violence against Asian Americans. At the same time, a suspect... We're in a time right now where just everyone is much more accepting and open to talk about it or have a conversation about it. You know, the fact that this, the younger generation, you know, the millennials and even the... Gen Z's are not willing just to talk about it, but to do something about it, I think, is inspiring. Christy Yamaguchi and I are both mothers of two. Christy's two teenage daughters are growing up in a world where they can assume their American identity and also poke holes in it, ask for more. And my two children are growing up in a world where the people they see in the media who reflect their heritage don't fit all on one hand. There's a lot that still needs to happen. For the sake of our kids, I hope that it gets even better.
This episode of Blind Landing was reported and hosted by me, Stephanie Ratopper, and produced and edited by me, Megan Coyle, and Ari Saperstein, with production assistance from Zachary Molino and Anna Mayer, and editorial assistance from Christian Green, Jenna Hamamoto, Vina Hampapur, Lisa Fu, and Preeti Sharma. Special thanks to Maddie Bender, Tracy Ishigo, Micah Kilbon, Danelle Wetterburn, and Ellen Weiss. And thank you to the people whose insights and stories form the backbone of this piece, including Constancio Arnaldo of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, Cynthia Che of Chinese for Affirmative Action and Stop API Hate, Nicole Chung, writer and author of the book All You Can Ever Know, Chris Komai, formerly of the Japanese American National Museum and the Rafu Shimpo, Brianna Lee of KPCC and Elias, Michelle Mush Lee of Youth Speaks, Leslie Ito of the Armory Center for the Arts, Mitch Maki of Gopher Broke National Education Center, and performance artist and comedian Christina Wong. My interview with Christy Yamaguchi was made possible with the help of Dean Osaki and the Always Dream Foundation. A shout out to my aunties, Shirley Yoko Dakin, Sheila LaFour, and Diane Narikawa for sharing your stories with me, and to my colleagues at KPCC and Elias for their support, including Ashley Alvarado and Arielle Zerulnik. And last but definitely not least, thank you to my mom, Joanne Ratopper, my dad, Steve Ratopper, and my husband, Francisco Garcia Nava, for caring for our two kids, Eiko and Kaito, and making it possible for me to make this show on nights and weekends. Thanks for listening.